This is Jake having a conversation with Talk Popsy's resident philosopher Schottenkirk at Lincoln Terrace Park in Brooklyn. It is July 2019. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Uh, your name is? Jake Hendricks. Hello. Thank you for coming to this. So let me tell you a little bit about this project that, that we've done for a while. So the project is called Philosopher's Ontological Party Club, Talk Popsy, and it's about holding conversations and building thought, and it's very topic-driven. And the topic that we're doing right now that we're talking to everybody about is art and cognition and what you get out of art or whether you think it gives knowledge or why you are connected to art or anything you want to talk about. Anything. Yeah. Um, I, th I think that question was probably a lot easier to answer about... 60 or 70 years ago. Yeah. Before, before conceptual art happened. So you're going to do visual art, right? First of all, not music, not theater. You're going to talk about visual stuff. I, I have no experience with theater. So that's, that's absolutely okay. off limits for me. Music. I could certainly, I could certainly talk, talk about, about that whatever too. you want. Like, um, visual art's cool. Not a lot well, of I was, do that. I was thinking about, about visual art specifically on the train here okay. and just how hard uh, the the how hard it is to to pin down the cognitive or the functions of art for me at least after uh, like 1970 or so and it's it's a a problem I have run into while completing my MFA. Yeah. Can I ask you sort of a, a general question? Sure. So, in I don't know if this is answerable, and maybe you don't think there's a universal kind of description about it. But when somebody, just anybody, stands in front of an artwork, what do you think is going on in their head? Like, why do people do that? Why do people care so much about it? Can you, can you give me a specific wing of the Met? Because I think that people go yeah. to different parts of the Met oh, for yeah, different reasons. Oh, yeah, of course, reasons. of course. Um, hmm. I guess I'm trying to sort of generalize. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you have any answer to just why art has been such an important function for every civilization kind of on the planet forever. Okay. And I know that you think that there's been some changes recently, but maybe it would be helpful for you to kind of pin down what function you think it serves in general. Is it possible? Yeah, I, well, I don't know if it's possible, but it's easier to approach that question if we consider art the totality of it. And, you know, because in, in the Met, we've got you know, ancient Egyptian stuff that's 5,000 years old up through some recent, you know, 1960s painting. And I think the, the connecting thread for a lot of people, then this, this is what I was thinking about here on, on the train. And maybe, maybe some people don't want to hear this, but it's uh, soteriological because for yeah. so long art was so totally entwined with religion. And it really only began to peel itself off. Secular art only really happened. Century, yeah. yeah, you know that. What was it? It's a Corbet's the Stone yeah. Stonebreakers. Yeah, is I, that think what it's it, I think it's sort of there too. Oh, century, you know yeah. that was to cause such a fuss because it's a yeah. it's a portrait of the, the proletariat and the working people. And art is the the subject for, um, you know, depictions of Christ or or before Christianity. It was for you know the the pyramids. It was it was uh, the subject of the gods and the subject of religion. And so. But why? So what about like you think the whole history of Chinese art? Very long, a lot of landscapes, right? So what what was going on there? I th I think, but the landscapes are never they're never uh, 
realistic. I'm using right, air, yeah, air yeah. quotes here for the podcast. Yeah. There, there, there's always this this spiritual like effervescence in the air of all of these Chinese yeah. landscapes. So that's still soteriological. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think so. Yeah. And I don't think that this is going through people's heads as they're standing there no, in the no, museum. No, of course not. But, it, you know? but th- this even occurred to me as I was walking by this beautiful church in my neighborhood a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, this is the most beautiful building on the block by a long shot. And it's built for religious purposes, which is so strange in our society now because those religious functions are so diminished compared to, you know, commerce. And, um, you know, the, build, the tallest buildings in any society are how you judge what's most, most important what's to that. Important? Yeah. But it wasn't always like that with us. This, at this church at one point was probably the tallest building. And it's kind of sad to me in our society now that we don't build things that are so beautiful. It, it wasn't built for any function. It doesn't. People don't live in it. They don't conduct business in it. It doesn't produce food. What is the function of this intensely beautiful building? And then I thought, well, then maybe this is connected to the functions of these really beautiful paintings. That it makes us feel better. Makes us feel better. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, right? yeah. Is, I mean, that sounds like a stupid way to say it, but is that kind of... Yeah, and I think I, I've even said that in some discussions in, you know, in college. And people are like, no, it has to be more than that. And, and I'm... I don't know that it is sometimes. Maybe that's a maybe that is a simplified way to say it. But when people look at here's a secular um, painting, uh, George Washington crossing the Delaware, right. but it still represents this very grand you know moment in history that's obviously been staged and and that's not it's not a photograph. No one was actually there watching that happen, but. It, it removes people out of the mundane, normal life to envision themselves. It transports people to some other place. And at least for me, that is how most art functions. But then again, when I stand in front of a Frank Stella, I feel nothing. Yeah. So in some ways, it seems like what you're saying is that it's almost like palliative care, right? We stand in front of an artwork and we just feel somewhat relieved of all the stresses and unhappiness of life and, and it transports us to some place that's a little bit more calming and, and pleasant. Is that so it's not like it's giving knowledge about the world. It's not about the world in that way that's useful, right? So it's not you wouldn't be able to call it knowledge. No, I don't I I don't think that it, it does give knowledge. I but I do think it, it art offers relief, especially if we want to consider pre-industrial society and, and when they were really building those grand churches, like the Romanesque period, for example. People's yeah. lives were pretty hard, you know, if you yeah, want to yeah. take Hobbes's quote, nasty, brutish, and short, yeah, yeah. that was life. And so religion provided this relief, this temporary relief from that. It was it was so much more than, than just this routine that people go and do on Sundays. It's literally like this moment we, when we can go contemplate this alternate world where there is no suffering and our lifespans are not, you know, age 40. Life was really, really difficult before technology, which is why technology has stolen so much yeah. of the value away from religion and art. Can you talk about that a little bit more, the notion of an alternate world? Like, art in the story that you're giving me seems to take people out of their very solipsistic, self-absorbed, anxiety-ridden world and puts them someplace else that's better. Yeah. Right? Right. So that's talk a little bit about that that ability to go into this other world. What's that about? Well, 
How that, do we do that? that? That's where it gets really difficult. And that, that's where I, you know, did 80 revisions upward of my artist statement to try to explain what's going on and why, why we should do that. That doesn't fall back onto jargon or, or kind of these Well, do it from statements. the point of view of the viewer. Like, how is it that the viewer goes into another world? It's, it's imagination in some ways, but it's also trying on other clothes, being somebody other than you are, looking at the world from a different perspective. It's, it's a, this, you know, you're, all, you're talking about it almost like not quite an out-of-body experience, but some way that you look at the world from almost orthogonally than the way that you normally are looking at the world, which is a relief. It, it is a relief, and I... Don't know that I can pin down like the mechanism that it, that causes it or why it should happen. Other than that, it it does seem to need to happen for lots of people. It seems yeah. as essential in some ways as food. That, yeah, yeah, that I think so. People need this. Yeah, and I, I believe it was um, Michael Fried who wrote in this piece about how, I think it was in the 1950s or 60s. He wrote an article kind of against uh, Donald Judd and. Um, and minimalist sculpture. I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm messing up the details, but it, but one of one of the points that he made was that um, paintings can be windows or portals. They don't project into our space. They allow us to leave our space. It's like this necess necessary thing that we need in order to be to be happy. It's a yeah, yeah. And I think it, it has a lot to do with happiness. I think that's really true. And and each each of us, or those of us who want to make art or can make art, have to greater or lesser degrees been revered in our societies because it's not something that everyone can do, but everyone else needs us to do it for them. Yeah, I mean everybody has some. I think everybody has some kind of art form that they go to for this process. Most people, for it's music. Music is really common. Some people poetry. Some people read novels, right? Some people go look at artwork. Right? I'm talking about point of view of viewers, right? But so what I was trying to pin down was like, what is it that people are getting out of that that seems to be such a universal need? And I think you're probably right that it allows us to get out of ourselves. And all, it's almost like, you know, remember how children would would play with dolls and they put clothes on, you know, those little paper clothes that you put on dolls. You know, you have paper dolls and you put clothes on. And you try different clothes on that particular doll and each little set of clothes changes who that doll is, right? It seems like almost when we when we experience art, it's that same kind of psychological process. We get to be somebody else or look at the world differently or 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 have a different set of emotional attitudes toward the world than we normally do. And it's kind of like playing dress-up, it almost seems like. And then we can go back into our own life, maybe like you were thinking of, like, um, like refreshed. That's why it's soteriological, right? It's a relief from all the stress and anxiety, because all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, I can look at this a little differently. There's a way out. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there's a way out. It's... It's coping, perhaps. Yeah, I think it's coping. It's coping, but yeah. I think that the whatever part of our minds drive that desire for art, I believe that it is entwined with the same drive for, um, I won't say religion, but spirituality and the need to believe in an alter and possibilities for a better world, the hope for a better world, and, and in some cases, 
this gets entwined with re- religion and it changes its function. But I believe the original, um, the origins of this desire are, you know, when ancient people see their uh, their family members die and life is hard and so they they start imagining that uh, the notion of a soul and the notion that the, the soul leaves and goes to you know some some sort of afterlife and all you know that's the genesis of so much of religious cosmology and also it's kind of the genesis of art and making things that don't have any other societal functions as opposed to like making there's art is an art artisanal that you make like a craft like you craft an item like a like uh, tools that you need to survive. And then there are crafts that serve no other purpose but just to be beautiful. And I think those were pr- those crafts were probably born around the same time that these religious notions were born, which is why I think that this desire to escape from suffering, i.e. soteriological, yeah, yeah. is bound up with yeah. our needs for art. I think it's just become really obscured today because for so many people, what we used to uh, get from that relief we used to feel from art, a lot of people get that same relief now from going to the cinema and seeing the new Transformers film. Yeah. Yeah, it takes you out of your world a little bit. Yeah, but, all right, so it seems, you you were talking about two related but distinct ideas. One was the more kind of cosmological, larger notion that there is ontologically a different world than the material world that we exist in on a day-to-day basis, right? That there's this other eternal, forever, and that's the religious point, sort of spiritual universe, right? And that art was sometimes always pointing to that. That's one line of the thinking. The other line of the thinking was that I, as an individual, can look at the world, like in the George Washington portrait, I, in the wor- as an individual, can look at the world from a slightly different point of view from the point of view of someone else, the person who made this. So you're not necessarily having to reference this eternal world in a lot of that art, but you're still able to get out of yourself just because you realize that there's another point of view. Maybe it's not the cosmological, religious point of view, but another point of view. Right. Do you understand? Yeah, yes, right? yes. Yeah. And I think that the second point there is still tied to that, that you know, platonic higher world and the desire for it because the the even the notion of of authorship of of using art to see from another individual's perspective i think that's pretty new because with a lot of artworks we don't you know before let's say the renaissance we don't even have names the the, the artist's name is irrelevant because because it's supposed to deliver you out of the world entirely instead yeah. of just shift you kind of parallel I think that's in, right. into yeah. another person's view and so that kind of parallel out of body experience is a is a much more recent and secular point of view i think that's right yes and I, yeah. But still, that that desire, you know, that's a good question. That's like like um like a Kurosawa film. Uh, does that serve like Seven Samurai? I believe oh, it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is that the, is that the one? Where there's there's multiple multiple perspectives. He did that a lot with his films, um, retelling the same the same events are or retold multiple times from all these the the viewpoints of uh, multiple different witnesses, and then we get this whole notion of the yeah. It wasn't that. Uh, it's about a rape. Um, the name I'm very bad at name. Yeah, someone's gonna figure it out. Yeah, and correct us. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I know. I'll I'll wake up in the middle of the night and go. Ah, oh, yeah, that's right. So, what you what you think is right and wrong. So you think that the Platonic 
sort of religious other world referencing is wrong. You know, you don't agree with that anyway, right? Referencing in like art? Art that kind of points one to the religious spiritual world. You kind of feel like good riddance to all that. Is that am no. I taking your point? No. Okay. Totally the totally, totally the opposite. opposite. That, that, that's what I think art oh. should do oh, okay. and, and has done. Okay. And I and, and so I, you think the sort of recent move towards the more secular point of view is ill advised? I think well I don't think it's ill advised so much as I don't think people realize that it's that um they're being hoodwinked. I think as as our society becomes more and more secular, we still have those same desires and those desires for to be transported. And uh, the, it, the 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 decline of the church opens up a power vacuum, and consumerism sweeps in. And so, I see. So much of I see. so much art now is just is just like, that's that's no offense, but that's how I feel about Frank Stella. It's just like yeah. glorified design, interior design, and we are. And so it doesn't really take you anywhere that's meaningful. Then. No, and it's just like going shopping and spending your money. It's like a it satisfies some sort of short term desire. It's a little sugar rush. Yes, yeah, a sugar rush exactly. Uh-huh. And uh, we've just we've replaced art's purpose of transporting us to other worlds to um, either some sort of like to distraction, to distraction, or some sort of reflective commentary about our own world, and it becomes self referential and therefore kind of oh, null. I see. Okay, I get the point. I I just in in general I, I feel like right there at the end with with um abstract expressionism was maybe like the last moment that art was pointed some sort of towards some sort of transcendence and this whole notion of that art should even be transcendent i think is viewed really cynically today as as um some sort of cheap or naive idea and i i just believe that our society is just so con- consumed with ironic cynicism that if you just stand in front of a genuinely beautiful painting and appreciate it for what it is. You're somehow like a, a schmuck because you believe in these genuine notions of beauty. And, and Can I play devil's advocate with that idea just for a moment? Sure. Okay. So I think, I think there's a distinction and you can uncouple that notion that you're talking about of transcending and going into another realm and the notion of beauty, right? So the notion of beauty of art's always about beauty to me, tends to kind of pull it into a very codified platonic notion of universals, right? So everyone knows what beautiful is, and now arts functions to be beautiful. But I would posit that a lot of what we might call very transcendent art is actually really ugly, and that you can be taken to lots of places that are very meaningful, important places, not just distractions, but really genuinely other worlds that you can get into by work that is not what we would call conventionally beautiful. So a couple things come to my mind, right? Um, Leon Golub's paintings, which are more recent, come to my mind as one. I, th- um, I think those are beautiful. But yeah, are you, but- a lot of Mayan um carvings I don't think are beautiful I think they're very like like Golub's kind of aesthetic you know it's crude and rough and somewhat violent and coarse and yet they shock you though they, they, they shove you into the they next world they shove you yeah maybe they don't beckon you right okay. and make it easy for you maybe they shove you but so, I think that I've always been a little hesitant about the notion of beauty as being that transporting 
mechanism here. I'm not sure if that's the delivery package or not. I'm not trying to say that we should all be painting Fragonard. I know that. And I, I know that. And, and, I'm just like, I, I've, I, yeah. And I, like, I'm leading down this road, I know, towards, toward Kant's aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm going to offend half a million people here, but I think he was wrong. I think Kant was wrong. But, uh. For all sorts of reasons. Yeah. But, uh, no, art doesn't have to be beautiful. Sometimes it can just be so different from yeah. our mundane experience yeah. that it shocks us out of our normal awareness. I think somehow it's the it's it's the it's the jolting. Yes, it's the, it's somehow we need to be just taken out of ourselves, and a lot of times that oh that is so beautiful allows us to get out of ourselves. But other times that oh my god that's outrageously intense also does it yes Mul- right? multiple um means by yeah. achieving that end or to achieve that end yes i would ag- i would agree with that yeah so then let's talk about where it is that we're the end is so if you had to just say what that world was that art was shoving you into or luring you into what would that world be i i is it real? Is, is it part of our imagination? Is it psychological? I think on the on the one hand, this is why we still read Plato. We're still trying to to, to make sense of that because we st- do do have that desire to uh, get out of the cave. Um, but I also think that this is where psychology or to a greater or lesser extent psychoanalysis picks up because there are so many things there are so many functions and desires of the mind that are just not rational that can only be kind of indirectly pointed at to through symbolism and dream and things like that that and it it becomes circular like this symbol points toward that symbol which points back towards this symbol that i don't know that i can ever give any clear account of what that place is that we're going to other than that we seem to need to do it i think that's why we dream even it seems like a good explanation for dreams but i like to imagine the um the i don't know if freud actually said it or someone else said it but that his model of the unconscious is like the iceberg and most of what we talk about with consciousness is just like this little like 20% of it that's exposed above the water. But underneath the water is this huge, massive thing that's normally closed off to to our own awareness. And, yeah, yeah. And, and awareness. And, and you and think art can get there? I, I think it can get think, there. It can uh, yeah. open the door or it can, it can push us through. And once we're in there, though, that's the other problem that, that psychoanalysis brings up is that sometimes words don't make sense down there anymore. And words don't mean what we think words meant. And so if we can get there... And then I can come back. I can't. I'm at a loss to tell you what it was. You just have to go. I mean, maybe it's like skydiving or bungee jumping or something. That's so that's like one of these near death experiences that people feel like they need to do. But I'm not going to tell you. You just have to go do it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think words are radically inadequate for describing reality. Yeah, it's that, just what we have and what we rely on. That's why artist statements are such uh, a pain. It's a pointless endeavor. Yeah. So. You think, right, just to kind of reiterate perhaps, you think that art is able to pull us into this deeper world that is, in fact, real. It's not just of our imagination. It's really there. Yes, but we just can't see it all the time. It helps us to see it. I think that's right. Yeah, I'd say it's really there. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for having that me. That was really great. Thank you. Thank you. This conversation tackles head-on what art is meant to do. Jake takes issue with the recent 75 years or so of visual art, particularly since conceptual art of the 60s or 70s. It took me a while in this conversation to figure out what he was trying to say, but it was extremely rewarding to do so. His point is profound. Traditionally, art is, according to Jake's view, soteriological. Now, literally, this means to give us comfort, to make us feel better. One often thinks of this in traditional kinds of religion, particularly ancient Hindu or Buddhism. The release from pain, release from anxiety, release from the wheel of life. This focus isn't the kind of epistemological or metaphysical questions that are often seen in Western religions, questions that focus on the truth of the claims. For example, did or did not Moses get the laws from God, or did or did not Jesus rise from the dead? That tie to empirical truth is more absent in Eastern religious thought, as there is more of an emphasis on alleviating the pain that is inextricably married to pleasure. A nice description of this is had by an editor of philosophy books, David Cooper, where he describes the Naya Sutra school of thought. Quote, Common to all the Indian school was a soteriological purpose of gaining knowledge and hence of articulating an understanding of what truly counts as knowledge. The purpose was release from a cycle of rebirth, from a world of suffering, through dispelling the ignorance of idya, which binds men and women to it. End quote. Spirituality and religion are of course related, but are not the same. The soteriological purpose of many ancient religions was to free us from pain, of course, but Jake is not thinking of only this narrow view of the term soteriological. Jake thinks there is a human need to escape the mundane, for consciousness is just a little iceberg of our awareness, and art can get us to the rest of the iceberg, where words don't make sense or are even applicable. Art is able to access worlds inaccessible to us in the usual course of events. Art shows us there is another world there for us. The problem for Jake was that art has abandoned this goal and become part of a secular consumer world that doesn't satisfy those natural instincts to go to another world. Consumerism doesn't do anything but give a sugar rush. Interesting for a moment, but then it's over with no residual benefits. Jake's complaint is that art's purpose of transporting us to other worlds has now been replaced by self-referential works that are just cynical and thus part of the consumerist sugar rush. What is that world that art is trying to shove us into? Jake answers that that's why, thousands of years later, we still read Plato. Maybe he's right. 